changing your relationship with knowledge just gives you so much more freedom because once you get to think critically a bit more like outside of what you're being force fed down your throat through school you get to think for yourself and you get to like plan things for yourself as we were discussing earlier Mm. i feel like through that you get to maybe like break out of the traditional mold that school may want to like forge you into and you just get to generate your own identity Hello, PKMers. Welcome back to Personal Knowledge Management with Aiden Halfon, the podcast where I interview fellow PKMers and dive into the unique ways they use their PKM systems for work, creativity, and life. This week, we have John Maverick, a good friend of mine who is also a content creator on YouTube and newsletter. He's a front-end developer for SAP and interested in stoicism, psychology, and personal knowledge management, as well as self-actualization. On his YouTube channel, he creates content showcasing his use cases for Obsidian, as well as analyzes anime. In this podcast, you will learn why John dropped out of college to pursue content creation, why most students are bored with school learning, how John created a systemized process for note-taking and studying in Obsidian, and how to begin self-learning in school. John, uh, can you tell us what what is your story? Like, how did you end up going from school to what you're doing today? Hmm, that is a very big question, but I'll I'll try to break it down step by step. But to sum it up in maybe two terms, just simply the art of self improvement and self learning. I'd say like. If you look back at where I was maybe in high school or a lot of my school days, I was just maybe your average gamer, just like cranking out 16 hours a day playing games on the weekends and even like during school days. And at times I still am the same. Maybe like that 16 hours can go towards anime and other leisure though. But yeah, I was just like the average person, I guess, just enjoying life and having fun. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But one day I did decide to raise my ambition a bit. Because initially I went to like this farmer school. I'm not farmer school, like farmer province in Canada. And it's just like a very like uh, chill back place. Um, not really much was going on. Like people were pretty settled and just like, having simple lives. But I thought to myself, what if I were to go to uh, a better university? Because my grades were uh, better, I guess, than other people. And like I was just kind of known as kind of like that gifted kid. Not trying to brag, but th- the facts are facts. So that... <laughs> I I ended up going, I ended up moving provinces so I could pursue a better education. So then I was doing that. But then I also just continued to maybe like not feel as challenged as I should be. So then like I just started self-learning on top of school because I felt like school wasn't teaching me the relevant things I wanted to learn in terms of career and just personal knowledge. So then like once I self-learned to the point where I got the internship I am in now and also the one I was in prior, I just thought like, what if I were to just not go to school at all? I feel like I'm learning much more from the internet and just other people like going through kind of this pathless path. So yeah, I ended up with a decision to no longer take any more university classes. And now I'm just doing internships and content creation. And now I'm where I am now. Mm. It's so nice to hear a full view of this story because I've heard like snippets of it from our conversations alone but I haven't heard like that cohesive narrative I'm interested to hear what was it about traditional school learning that you felt wasn't giving you what you wanted hmm like from what I see traditional school learning 
can be good at maybe giving you like the fundamental skills, the soft skills to learn, to think critically and to like um, follow algorithms, depending on the subject, like math is good for algorithms. English is good for like critical analysis. But at the same time, like the content that you are performing these skills on might not be as relevant as maybe other things you're interested in. Like I definitely am not that interested in history or biology, but in my high school classes, I was forced to take these subjects and I don't really feel like the knowledge I learned in those classes have been really that useful for me, like where I am now. And the same can also be said for university. Like even though I am studying um, a major that I want to and I want to get a job in computer science, I feel like almost everything I've learned so far in university has been useless towards getting the job that I have now. Mm. So yeah. Mm. So it sounds like learning outside of university, you were able to learn exactly what you needed for what you were doing. Whereas in university, you're just kind of like learning a whole bunch of stuff, yeah, but not necessarily related to what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I think it's mostly because I maybe have like a more clearer vision of what I want to do in my life. So then I don't really need to like explore like different areas to see what I might be more interested in. Mm. But I don't think everyone has that privilege. So I do think school is still like a good path for a lot of people. Yeah, I, I want to dive a little more into that because it's interesting to me how we both have very similar views on the issues with school, some schools being like, you know, you don't get to specifically choose what you want to learn and dive into your interests. Or, you know, sometimes you learn stuff that's not related. And yet you, you dropped out and are doing an internship right now, and I'm staying in. So I'd love to hear like, what type of student do you think might be more oriented towards going to school? And which type of student might be more oriented towards dropping out? Hmm. I feel like it's a paradox because do you want to talk about this in terms of high school or university or like both? I think we should do both. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I feel like in high school, you don't really have a choice, right? I yeah. feel like in some ways, like if you're the average person, I feel like it is important to just like get through high school, even if it is like very demanding and like draining, just because it does give you kind of like that foundation of like um, experience in other areas and other topics of mm. life. And it does like have other benefits outside of knowledge as well, just through like social relationships you've gained and maybe like extracurriculars you've also done. But when it comes to university, I find there to be a bit of a paradox because I know a lot of people who just choose majors, not because they're passionate about the subject, but it's just because something their parents told them to do or something that like, I don't know, it's like societally um, expected. Mm -hmm. So then they don't really like find that passion for learning and just overall enjoyment in like their career, which I find to mm. be a very like disheartening. But at the same time, if you are really passionate about your career, like maybe you could like argue, I'm probably one of those people, then you might like exactly know where you want to be, what you want to do. And sometimes the school system doesn't provide you with that or might not be you're the best method to get there. So mm. in that case, then it might not be the best option for them as well. So I'm not really sure like what the ideal person or like circumstances should be for you to like go to university. Mm. I, I I really resonate with with that. I remember my brother, he's studying in Utrecht University right now. And there was yeah. a there was one day where a student came up to him about a month into one of the quarters for school. Mm -hmm. And they were like, I've been here for one month, but I haven't gone to lecture in two months. And it's like, it didn't even make sense. Like, it's what? like, what? It doesn't make any sense at all. But the reason the reason they said it is like it exasperates the whole idea of like these people some some students will go to university they'll sign up for a major 
And then they'll just completely do nothing because they have no idea why they're doing the major in the first place. And my brother said that pretty much that's been his experience with most of the students that he talks to, um, with some exceptions, of course, is like, you know, they'll be in like a fifth fifth year PhD program. And he's like, so uh, why are you studying that? And they're just like, ah, you know, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah. It's really scary to hear at times because like mm-hmm. there are the people who like, do their first degree but then decide to switch it like later on and there's the people who maybe like dread every single second that they study and like attend Mm -hmm. lectures for the degree i don't know it's just it's just so weird yeah i think the big difference between the students that go to university with intentionality and those that don't is like the ones that do it with intentionality they're also might be lost on what they want to do like for instance me i'm pretty confident i want to learn psychology but I'm not like fully confident that I want to do that as a as a career. I'm more actually interested in content creation as a potential <laughs> career. Yeah. But I understand why it is that I'm doing psychology right now. Um, like I know what it is I like about it, what potential areas it could open me up to in the future. Whereas like, I think the student that we're talking about that does it without intentionality, they go on to university, look at like the major list, see the course, the major description, and then like make the next 50 years of their career decisions off of like a split moment decision and then just go down that. Um, And that's not to say everyone does that, but it's, yeah, it's a, it's like a lack of intentionality almost. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I would much prefer if people were to take like gap years and not maybe force themselves to go through a path that they might not want to. But at the yeah. same time, like, I don't know. I feel like humans just naturally are curious in a lot of different areas. It's just yeah. like very yeah. weird to like force someone to stick to one major for so many years. And then mm-hmm. eventually, like for their whole life as a career. Mm. That is also like maybe one of the reasons why I am not so interested in like traditional education. Because mm. like I don't like like you said like you're into content creation, you're into psychology, and you're obviously into like peanut butter, all that jazz. So <laughs> like, they don't even have a course for peanut butter university. Like yeah, that's the real problem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I I'd be interested in in hearing what uh how you feel that your decision to leave university has affected you afterward. Um. I think it definitely has um, brought up a lot of uncertainty for the future because like for most jobs, you do require kind of some form of certifications in the form of a degree. But maybe in the tech world, it's not as strict because there are a lot of like op- uh, companies that do accept people without degrees as long as you have experience or it's like mm. some form of competence. So that's what I'm going to try and aim for. And, you know, like worst comes to worst, I can just easily just go back to school. I think I am happy with the decision I made just because I don't really have the constraints of having to have this extra responsibility on me. And like I said before, um, I do enjoy the different learning methods available online, whether it be just Mm. like through YouTubers, like maybe paid courses, just on like anything that you really want to learn. Mm. And I just find it like much more fulfilling and relatable for like what I want to do for my future. Mm. On that note, how has your learning now that you're outside of school been in comparison to how you learned when you were inside that's a fair question um as of right now like my main priorities have just been kind of just like learning more about the world just like through books and also like just self-improvement in general so i think books have been really valuable towards that just like getting exposed to like some of the most 
um, maybe important ideas and just like psychology, philosophy through mm-hmm. like the most um, profound thinkers in those areas. I think it's something super valuable. Like the fact that you can just like internalize someone's life's work in a matter of hours is just like, in- I don't know, it's just like surprising for me. It's just, <laughs> but I don't know. It forces me to create my own structure for learning, I guess. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I need to have kind of that vision on what I want to do or else I might just like uh, kind of like vegetate and do nothing all day <laughs> because i don't really have kind of like those deadlines really imposed onto me yeah yeah can can you give an example of like something that you've dove in really deep into outside of school um and some of the uh resources you you might have used to do that hmm. i mean the two that come to my mind are obsidian and just like web development since that's what i've been hired for for my past two internships yeah with obsidian Pretty much just started off with like some, I think some, I was just chatting with a friend on Discord. He was like my accountability buddy that I'd talk to weekly. And he just randomly sent me a message. He's like, yo, check out this app called Obsidian. And I was like, it looks kind of lame, but I guess I'll try it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I started like, I started just like exploring the app by myself. And during then I would just like keep reflecting on like what I was learning, which is kind of it's like each day I would like write down what I did, like what I learned. <clears throat> and that actually formed the basis of my first Obsidian video. Mm. so i kind of just had like yeah and then based on these reflections i would then see like hey what would i want to learn next how can i start like maybe applying it for the things i want to do in my life whether it is something like an app i would want to use long term so it's just like it's very um what's it called it's like it's very agile in the sense that like there's no strict learning plan when it comes to maybe these kinds of things you just have to like kind of learn on the go depending on like what resources available and what kind of like direction you want to go Mm. because like at the time i guess when i started learning obsidian there wasn't really any like super clear path on doing so it was just kind of people like sharing their own workflows for like their own specific use cases but there wasn't like some ultimate comprehensive guide like there's a but there are a lot now but back then like it was still a new app and people were still figuring out how to use it community wasn't as strong so there's a lot of self-learning I think that's also very important. It's like being able to find the resources online that are relevant to your problems. Mm. Like, there's bound to be solutions. Like, like the amount of stuff yeah. uploaded online. And one thing you hit on, which I think is really important, is that one of the skills you build when you learn something outside of school is the ability to find relevant resources and create your own learning plan, which I think is something you don't build if everything is given to you in a course and all the homework assignments are given to you as well. Um, And I think it's such a powerful skill to have, especially considering the power of the internet. And now even more so with chat GPT, (laughs) understanding how to use it to like ask it questions and generate specific prompts. How do you think that Obsidian, um, because I know that obviously we both use it a lot. I'm interested to hear two things, which are not only uh, telling the audience what it is that you use it for, but also how do you think it's changed your mindset and enjoyment of, of learning? Hmm. I use Obsidian for a lot of things. It's (laughs) It's pretty much the operating system for my life. Like I use it for my daily notes so I can keep track of what I did throughout the day and just like the general thoughts and like, things that happened and then those become like weekly notes where i review and reflect and kind of like do kind of that planning for the future and what i want to do and learn that's only like one aspect there's like the whole information side to it as well of just like storing all the different highlights i have throughout different articles videos books i read 
I have in uh, I have Readwise integrated, so then like it just I just highlight using Readwise, and it just goes into Obsidian, and then from there I make conceptual notes, I guess, to kind of like rewrite things in my own words and kind of like build that web of ideas, and then that can then be turned into content or just be used like in the future when I want to refer to something again. And yeah, I don't know. It's just like Obsidian has just been a tool for thought. Mm-hmm. It's become genuinely my second brain, <laughs> <laughs> cheesy as it may be. Yeah. Second question. I forget what it was. How do you think using it has influenced your mindset towards learning and enjoyment of it? I think, okay, when I first started using Obsidian, like I was just blown away at how like personalized it was, I think. Mm. The entire note-taking experience. Because I don't know, in school, you'd have like fill in the blank worksheets. You'd have to read from like set textbooks, but with Obsidian, you like it complements kind of that self-paced and self-guided learning in the sense that you get to choose what your system looks like, what it does. You get to choose what resources you consume and how you organize and store it. And then you finally get to choose like how you want to apply it, whether it be mm. through content projects or any of the sort. So I think Obsidian just has been naturally a really good like companion for self-learning because of how free it is for you to like use like i'm able to use it for so many different for learning so many different skills and like just topics ranging from like personal development to more like applied skills like programming to like software like obsidian itself using obsidian to learn obsidian (laughs) meta yeah I don't know. It's just like, it's really nice to kind of like have that foundation. Like sure, you mm. could maybe use Google mm-hmm. Docs, but it's just very hard to maybe connect all these different ideas and to organize them just through folders alone. I think the linking capabilities of Obsidian just make it so much more easier. Yeah. On top of like all the plugins and already existing workflows and just tutorials people show online. Which mm. makes like, it lets you focus on just learning and just feeling fulfilled, exploring what the world has to offer. Yeah. I remember I was sitting in my dorm room last semester with a outline no open notes document for a course that I wanted to make on reading, which is not a not a course I actually made. Yeah. But uh, I was trying to take all the content and writings that I'd taken on reading previously and upload it offline in like the last year and a half and assimilate it into this one document. Previous note-taking apps or methods I'd used, I never could do it because they, they weren't linked-based. It was all like, you know, one text document. You couldn't really link files together. Like you can't do that with Evernote or Google Drive. Oh God, I Google linking a Google Drive would just oh, be terrible. No, <laughs> yeah, it's like PTSD-inducing. I just started assembling all this stuff into a notes document. And pretty soon I got into like this rhythm where I was just like getting all this stuff down and like finding themes and then like jumping in between places, creating like this little map. It got to the point after like an hour of doing this where I was so like energized from the the freedom of using Obsidian that my heart mm-hmm. literally started beating out of my chest. <laughs> and, I, and I had to like, John, I literally had to get up and like take a breather because I was afraid I was going to have like a heart attack. Like it was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was insane. Um, and yeah, that was like an out-of-body experience for me. Uh, like that was, I think, the moment I realized the, not only the power of link-based thought, but I think I had more of an ethereal experience and it starts, it sounds like you, maybe to a less extreme degree, yeah. uh, had one as well where like I realized what it felt like to learn unrestricted by uh conventional hierarchical 
note-taking strategy or system Mm -hmm. and also uh, what it felt like to learn what I wanted to dive into instead of being like forced to learn a specific thing and go down specific stuff like you would in school. Yeah, I I completely agree. It was like almost a spiritual experience. (laughs) (laughs) Achieving enlightenment, self-actualization. I just want to tell the audience, we do, I don't, as far as I know, John and I do not pray to obsidian gods when we go to bed. Uh, It might sound... Am I show God, John? <laughs> just oh, <laughs> that's my notes I, be growing. I know it's be growing. Yeah, I I think there's really something to to the whole idea that um, one of the reasons I personally think a lot of the students around me are so like sucked of life for for uh, schoolwork at Cornell yeah. is like there's no. Um, there's no personality inside of their own learning. It's like they're learning the same thing as every other person. They don't, that almost every single person uses Google Drive. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that the way they take notes, like I'll literally be sitting in class and I'll just be like looking around. I'm just like, you know, just for funsies because I'm a note taking <laughs> nerd. Yeah. And I'll see like, this p- these people with Google Drives open and like the bullet point list up and they'll be looking at the slides and they will literally put down exactly uh. what the slide says, like verbatim with the bullet points and everything exactly worded the same way. Um, and it was like, there's, there's nothing that sucks away the fun of learning as knowing uh, from the very starting point of your learning endeavor where you're going to be at the end. Because y- you know you're just going to copy down what's on the slide. There's no like hmm. curiosity. There's no openness for something new, something exciting to come about. There's no autonomy and it's really sad. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, I remember like one time in my lecture, like someone literally just turned on like the voice to text option in Google Docs and just let it run. And I'm like, ha, this is this is so sad. <laughs> like, I kind of do understand why people do it because you don't really want to mm-hmm. miss out anything like that could be on the test. But at the mm-hmm. same time, like, yeah, like you said just no autonomy to learning. It's just it's it's a reactive process. Like it's not proactive. And I feel like that's something that the school system really fails at. Mm. That's why I love like more discussion-based classes where you get like original thought in. But unfortunately for a STEM student like me, there's like no discussion. Everything's already like known and figured out. You just have to like cram it into your brain. (laughs) Wait, what would you discuss? Just like the the biological genome of a cow foot? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, potentially. I don't even know. So what do you think were some of the things that you started doing in your Obsidian note-taking that helped you feel like you were adding your own unique like personality um, and expression into your notes? I think one important thing is like switching up maybe the organization and the structure at which you organize these notes. Because usually... Um, like for especially for STEM courses, like you go through like each topic in a very like in a, in a very structured format. Like you may start with like the introduction of something, like of a new idea, and then like go into each specific part. But then if you were to take notes normally, you would just like separate it under like depending on what lecture you got it from, right? You didn't have to like flip back and forth based on like the date of the lecture. But with Obsidian note taking, with conceptual notes, um, you get to tailor it more towards like how you understand it you're not restrained to maybe like the different pages you have on Google Docs 
Mm-hmm. You can just have a note for each concept and then start linking it. I think that's where the magic happens. I think that's where the individuality is created in your notes because not everyone's going to find like the maximum amount of like retention and understanding of the concepts just by like copying exactly what is shown on the presentation. I think mm-hmm. there needs to be that time used to just like figure out how you like see it and like best like envision it in your brain so you can like replicate kind of the same thing in Obsidian. And I think, yeah, just like using Obsidian as kind of like that playground to figure out what kind of structure is best. Just like really, really useful, I'd say. Mm. I know it's been a while since you were in a, a lecture, like classroom doing exactly what what you're saying. But can you can you take us through what you might what your mindset might have been like you sit down and lecture uh, a slide comes a presentation comes up for some specific thing and I don't know what it is biology or something like that like what's what's going on chemistry chemistry I'm not taking chemistry either Uh, uh, introduction to python (laughs) sure there Um, we go (laughs) I I didn't take it but I'll just take it as an example so yeah in the beginning I do have like I have two ways of maybe like having a structure for my school notes because I have one that follows kind of like the the traditional structure that they impose on you, kind of like the different Mm -hmm. units and like chapter sections. And I kind of like use that just to keep track on maybe what topics will be covered for each test at the end of a unit. But at the same time, I also start growing kind of like a map of content for the ideas that I'm learning throughout the course. Because maybe sometimes like in unit four, you'll come across a new concept that heavily builds off of a unit in concept one. So then if you had like an idea, like in a new unit that you want to connect like an old one, you could easily do so. And then you can maybe create like a new structure based on that. Mm -hmm. And then like since those two are related, you could be like, oh, this all like comes together to form like this new idea, which is like the bigger idea or like concept that encapsulates both of them. Like 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 variables and like um, functions, like all fall under just like Python, I guess, or just like some mm. general programming language. That's where like you can really start creating kind of like that abstract hierarchical structure of what you're learning in a way that's personalized for you. Mm. Ooh, I, yeah, I really, really resonate with that because I, I, I know that like most of the classes, you could tell me if you feel similar, mm-hmm. um, the ones that I've had at least, the professor, even if they're a good one, there obviously are like some great professors, usually will not in the slides connect back to previous stuff in the semester. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they'll have like a mention, but they don't usually do it for you. Like it's your job to figure out how to build that lattice work between the class as you keep going and going. And I think Obsidian uniquely allows you to connect back to stuff in the same class and even cooler, um, connect back to stuff in between your different classes and also between semesters. I had a really cool experience a few days ago where I was taking notes for my human bonding class. We were doing a lecture on the thing, the facial and bodily structures that are make you more attractive. Um, Fun fact, the most important thing that determines attraction for both males and females is waist to hip ratio. (laughs) So next time you go up to your your uh, girl after this call, you can say how how you like my waist to hip ratio. (laughs) Hey, how do you like my waist to hip ratio? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but point is, as I was taking notes on that, I was like, I swear. Oh, 
I got thrown a banana. You got thrown a banana. <laughs> I guess that's the thing that I'll use for us to podcast. Keep going. Ooh, I swear. I was thinking, I was like, I've definitely taken notes on something related to this mm-hmm. in a different semester. So I, I went back through my Obsidian database, actually during the class, uh, the lecture itself really fast. And I found out I had totally taken a whole like lecture note on relationships and attraction in social psychology. And it was so, so related to what we were learning in that human bonding class. Like in the social psychology note, it had all this information on the halo effect, which is like people that are more attractive, we tend to just assign positive attributes that have nothing to do with attraction to simply Mm -hmm. because they're attractive. Oh, they're attractive. They must be great at tennis. (laughs) Like what? (laughs) Or something like that. And I connected the notes together um, and it was it was just really cool to be able to do that yeah. uh, in Obsidian. It's like your previous learning isn't wasted. And when you do get to maybe like create an essay about these ideas, like you get to bring in such new perspectives. I think it's just mm-hmm. like really beautiful. Yeah. It's like your your knowledge scales across semesters instead of like dying. <laughs> yeah. You don't like just throw your notes in like a campfire in the summer. <laughs> Once the semester's <laughs> over, you actually get to reuse it. It's crazy. It's really, it's really funny you say that because in high school, uh, I had my whole friend group. We used to have this tradition <laughs> where after we finished the, the 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 year, we'd throw all of our notes into a bonfire, <laughs> all of them, um, and the, it didn't feel bad to do because like you didn't we didn't connect them together. So it was like, okay, yeah. where this semester is done. If I did that with obsidian now, I would literally like die. Like I would shrivel up yeah. inside because it's like all that knowledge gone. It's just so weird. Like how your relationship with knowledge can change just based on like, like maybe the platform or like method you use mm. becomes something that literally like using it as like fire fodder would be more useful for than like keeping it like your room would be <laughs> to like something that could last you a lifetime. Ooh. I want to I want to dive more into that. How how do you think your relationship to knowledge has changed as a result of you using obsidian and self-learning? Hmm. I depends. I think with the self-learning route, you definitely have to be more critical of what sources you're learning from. Hmm. Like I'm not going to learn how to treat women from like Andrew Tate, right? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I also learned from like a trained psychologist or like relationship expert because they actually have like tests and like research on what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, though, like there's a, probably a lot of those kinds of people out there trying to like share their ideas. So there becomes kind of information abundance and it may be hard to find out what resources you should be using just because of the sheer amount there is online. Mm. So yeah, I think that's maybe like one of the downsides of having kind of a more free form of like learning, but Mm -hmm. it's definitely turned into one of scarce from one of scarcity to one of abundance, I would say. Mm. Mm. There's much more options to choose from. Um, Just like the scale of the internet makes the chance of finding higher quality information much more easier if you are capable of like filtering through and you're not really closed off with just kind of like that one like perspective that maybe your professor would teach you. Or your school would teach you. Mm. I think that's really important to just like kind of have a variety of options to choose from for your own. Mm. I think that's a really essential thing to 
harbor down on is like the fact that one disadvantage, but at the same time, advantage of learning outside of school is you have to learn using your digital literacy skills to navigate the internet. And like the disadvantage is, you know, when you first start doing that, oh my God, is that terrifying? Like the internet is so, so big. And you can, if you don't know like how to find the right sort, it's, it's, it's overwhelming because, you know, you get stuck in like analysis paralysis like there's so many resources which one do you mm-hmm. choose um and also you could you can end up like watching some pretty terrible stuff <laughs> um but if you can learn to uh figure out like you know i would actually recommend everyone listening to this podcast especially if you're considering getting in uh if you are considering getting into self-learning outside of school watch the crash course digital literacy um series i think it's like 15 episodes long they're like 10 minutes each and it is so good like after you watch that you will you will become an internet genius you'll be able to navigate stuff like figure out if a source is is quality or not quality uh not with 100 percent accuracy but much faster <laughs> than than you would otherwise um and and like you said like this the power that being able to like the, the whole reason we met is because I went on YouTube and I was like, I wonder who else is creating Obsidian videos. <laughs> and then I searched it up and I was like, oh, what's this silly little guy named John Maverick? Uh, and then I literally messaged. I think I I think I commented on a YouTube video and then you responded and you were like, hello. <laughs> and, that's, <Yeah. laughs> and that's how we like met in the first place through the yeah. Internet. Yeah, no, that, that is something I find beautiful about the idea of self-learning as well just like using the internet is that like kind of everyone becomes a student of the internet like the internet is your classroom and you get to meet just like so many different people from across the world just through their own like um expressions and just like kind of learning in public practices that they're doing whether it be through like twitter or youtube or blogs you do all of them (laughs) yeah i don't know it it definitely helps improve like the kind of social environment you're in for learning the topics that you're interested in as well. Because if you compare like someone is like super passionate to a point where like they're creating content and helping people with what they're learning mm. in comparison to maybe like someone who just like decided to half-ass like a degree on the whim. Like mm. you're going to learn so much more from the first person. Mm. Yeah. I, I really wish that there was a class in college or even honestly, it should be in high school uh, on like digital literacy and how to use the internet effectively. Mm -hmm. Because what's weird to me is like, I don't know if you experienced this in your high school or your college, but like phones were like supposed to not be used during class. Like it was actively said like, oh, put your phone away, which I can see obviously some students would go on it and text. But at the same time, it's like you have this super weapon of mass destruction and also incredible power with access to the internet. Like, why not teach the students how to use this to their fullest capabilities? Um, same thing with math classes. It's like, you know, it's not like every math class you take says no using calculator. You have to use all of your all your mental arithmetic for like calculus. Mm-hmm. No, you get to use a calculator. It's this powerful tool. And it, for some reason, the internet is treated differently. Um, maybe it's because calculators have been out longer. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um... I think it's at an okay spot right now because when it comes to like essays or maybe like learning something new in like English class, you do, well, at least in my case, I had permission to find my own resources that I was interested in or like choose my own topics for my own essays. But yeah, I do agree with what you said with kind of like phones being uh, taboo 
I guess, as part of the learning experience. But I, I don't really blame them, though. If you look at maybe, I think it's just, I feel like the problem just stems from like just a general lack of interest in learning that is caused mm. by the traditional school system. So then like students are maybe like seeking some form of distraction, which leads to kind of like that cycle. Because mm. like they don't want to learn, so they go on their phones, but then that distracts them, even though the phone could be used as like a really powerful tool. Kind of just like, I don't know. I don't know how to tackle it. It's, I think that's beyond our scope of impact, but yeah, it is still something well, interesting to think actually, about. I think it will be actually interesting to explore because I've heard from uh, a previous podcast uh, interview, uh, interview I had with this guy named Yukai Chow, uh, gamification expert, author of actionable gamification. I believe I've t- told you about him before, but yeah. one of the things he said was there's this notion that a lot of students don't enjoy learning when in reality, what they don't enjoy is school learning. Mm-hmm. Pretty much everyone I, I don't think I've met actually someone that I've gotten to know pretty well who who doesn't who genuinely doesn't enjoy learning. Like most people love learning. They just associate learning with like school learning. Mm-hmm. Um, like video games, for instance. We both played a ton of video games when we were younger. That's a ton of learning. Yeah. That's like that's so much learning. It, like incredible amount. And and it's not as it's not the same as school learning. But the point is, like, in, you were, you and I were both incredibly driven to learn in those avenues. Mm-hmm. So I think that when when you give students that environment where they they have the option to dive into their interests and they can imbue their own personality inside of the learning process, you open up this whole new like energy and passion for learning that was there the entire time and just didn't have the opportunity to to get let out. Yeah, I completely agree. I think just like the act of learning is just like biologically very fulfilling, just like from an evolutionary standpoint. I was going to ask you, um, based off of what we've been saying earlier, what, what you think some students still in college right now might be able to do to test out the waters on self-learning by like what what might be what is the simplest most actual thing they might be able to do to try some self-learning for themselves alongside their schoolwork try self-learning alongside their schoolwork there's so many different ways you could go about this because you could just do something that you already are interested in like one of your hobbies maybe taking it to the next level and just like finding like related resources or figures to help you maybe like learn more or like advance faster if it is something skill-based um you could also go on the route of maybe your career because everyone does graduate with the same degree and if you want to stand out in the workforce you need to have that something special on your resume so just like maybe like learning a new coding language or maybe um like having a certain certificate outside of school can definitely help you kind of like get that extra edge while still learning Uh, depends on if you are like career oriented and do find that fulfilling in the first place but i think what is probably best is to just learn how to learn in the first place it's kind of like the meta skill because when Mm. you learn how to learn you're learning how to improve your learning which then improves the rate at which you're learning how to learn (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i feel like it's something that needs to be discussed more in schools because I I remember like in high school, like I was doing like the bare minimum, like in my studying and I would still like get decent grades because I was using like flashcards and other things. But then people would just be like rereading the textbooks, rereading their notes and they would like spend so much time and effort, but not like maybe get the same result. And it also like mm. drain them out because of the amount of effort it took. So I think just like having an efficient and efficient mindset towards learning 
one that can also be fun as well. It's just really important. Mm. Oh my God, John, that last thing you said really, really hit. I, I remember there was one in my 11th grade of high school, I was taking AP Global. Mm-hmm. And the day of the final AP exam, I showed up to school, like walked in like super proud. I'd done so much studying. I was so happy. Of course, the, all the studying was in the last like three days. But uh, nonetheless, I walked up to one of my friends also taking the class. And I was like, so how many times did you read the book? And he was like, five times. And I was like, dang it. I only read it four times. <laughs> and and it's like the method of studying that we both had like a consensus for being the right way was literally just reading the book from front to back four or five times. And that's how we had studied. And it's like, yeah, we did pretty well on the test because, you know, you cram all that information into your head for like three days. I could not tell you a single thing on that exam now. It is just all gone um, completely. (laughs) Oh, no. I mean, I would say something, but I think I did do the same for my AP, but at least it was like flashcards. So like the studying was somewhat effective, Mm, mm -hmm. but even still like a few like years, months later, I definitely don't remember most of the stuff I learned. Yeah. You, you know what this, what this hits on as well, I think is, um, I don't think students realize in the moment how negative it is over, over a period of like years and years to learning to to Mm -hmm. study like this because I've been reading this book recently called Moonwalking with Einstein. It talks about Mm -hmm. like the art of memory formation, how, how memory is formed, how we, how we retain memories. And one of the major insights is that memory is what we connect new knowledge to when it comes in to our senses. And that is actually how we encode it deeper when we first learn something. So the more cues that you can, uh, the more things that you can attach a new memory to that you already remember, the more sticky it is inside of your brain, uh, which is why the more memory that you have, this is a very big generalization, but the more memory you, the more memory you have in a subject, uh, the more connections that you can form between that old embedded knowledge and new knowledge, uh, the faster you can learn, the stickier it will it will be. So when when you when you cram study like this and you forget it in the next couple of days after a test, mm-hmm. you're you're literally screwing yourself over for that subject for the rest of the time that you learn it because now you don't have that foundation of of knowledge that you can connect learning to yeah. if you ever do learn more in that subject. Yeah, I guess like over time, it definitely does mess up. <clears throat> foundation at which you can connect it also brings up like an idea on how like being a generalist versus a specialist could be important as well like just like knowing so much like knowing like a decent amount on so many different topics can help you quickly learn like more foreign ones faster because Mm. you have like such a diverse like idea verse inside you they're able to connect mm, mm. Ooh, yeah, yeah. I, I, lo- I love that you said the generalist thing because that goes back to like the power of obsidian and being able to connect notes between classes and semesters. Mm-hmm. And also, I want to make it abundantly clear that like um, you can't, you, it's not just connecting notes between classes and semesters. It's also connecting those school notes with your outside learnings. Yeah. Like it's not like they're separate. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're all like interconnected. Um, so... Like when you connect a note uh, on, for instance, like uh, you've probably heard this one from me before, but like long chins, 
from in uh in the english let me explain let me explain okay. your face I'm, just went I'm like super confused I'm letting you explain okay <laughs> so the english higher the english aristocracy in the 16th century uh they had very long chins uh and the reason is they did incest and when <laughs> when the when you do incest there's more likelihood that you have recessive trait uh genes get pulled to the next generation long chins being a recessive trait um so i connected when i learned that i collected connected the note on the fact that english uh aristocracy had long chins to a note on biology and recessive genes um which meant that like i have a history note connected to a biology note in a very interesting way that Mm -hmm. never would have happened if i was writing notes in a sequential like verbatim format. Yeah. Um, and that just like speaks to the idea that you were just saying of like being a generalist with knowledge. Um, it allows you to connect so many different areas um, in a way that helps you learn new things faster. Yeah. I think that's like a perfect example applied in like a school setting. <clears throat> Do you have any particular example of like if you can remember it can also be a learning from the past few weeks or so but of of something that you connected to something else where it was not initially clear the relation Hmm. unfortunately the time i did start using obsidian was when i was taking stem classes so i haven't had like it's there's not really much foreign connections that could be made so i don't Mm. really have like any memorable experiences like you have but like um in terms of just self-learning in general like i had one course about kind of like this idea of like learning how to learn learning how to like hack the brain and everything that was like being talked about was just something i already knew just from like reading books just out of personal interest like uh make it stick it's like all the different studying uh books out there Mm. i was able to like strengthen my understanding of these concepts in class just by also like going back to my notes on those books. Mm-mm. Yeah. So that's an example of like connecting stuff you're learning outside of class to stuff you're learning in class. Yeah. yeah. I think it's important we dive into the STEM classes as well, because with all of this discussion on like conceptual note making and connecting between classes, I think it is important to note that it is it is different between like social sciences and STEM classes, like me being in the social sciences, I feel like these connections are much easier to make. Mm -hmm. How do you think we you could apply as a STEM student some of the things that we're talking about? It definitely is harder to make those abstract connections, like you said. I think like the best way you could leverage kind of this new form of note taking is just by, like I said, like in my case, just adding other resources on top of it from things you're learning like on your own time. Because like, for example, if you're pursuing a computer science degree and you're just learning like the basics of coding, you might already have like interest in maybe making like video games, for example, using Unity. And you want to like connect learnings you have there to better understand what you're learning in class. That's where I think maybe like the connected note taking and just uh, philosophy could come in. And yeah, I don't know. It's a tough one because like the concepts are already like very um, distinguished, Mm. already like established. Yeah. It's kind of like fact and proof. But there are definitely like the off cases. Like you can like probably connect, uh, like if you had trouble learning something, you could connect it to like an analogy from like a different course you had. Kind of like, Mm. yeah, because analogy is like very powerful for like learning things. 
because you are like referencing things you already know. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think you're totally right about like the connection between classes and semesters. Um I could see the connection between semesters of the same like yeah, type of sure. class being very very beneficial, but I think it's harder you're right to connect in between classes. I think one of the areas you can definitely apply what we're talking about in like quite substantially is in the way that you take the notes themselves in class. Mm-hmm. Like for example, uh <laughs> I feel so bad. I feel like I keep sh- crapping on all the students that are around me but I was sitting and I was sitting in um my statistics class last semester watching the professor go through a ANOVA statistics problem on the board ANOVA means analysis of variance mm-hmm. uh doesn't matter that you know what it is but <laughs> the students around me as they were as he was doing this question on the board were just like writing down exactly what he was saying you know as usual mm-hmm. um and then it hit me I was like Okay, he's doing the question on the board and they're writing everything that he's doing down. So it's like the most passive form of learning you could possibly do. Why not try and do the question yourself as soon as it comes on the board and then check your answers and logic with the professor as they do it on the board? Because then you get the best of both worlds. You get to do the active learning of trying Mm -hmm. to do the question and you literally have someone doing it right in front of you if you need help. So I started doing that with every single one of the statistics problems. Like I would just go like 10 seconds, 20 seconds. Maybe if the professor was really slow or something, I'd go like a minute ahead. And oh my God, did it make it dead. Like I I kid you not, John, I had to study like hours less because I I, I part of the studying was in class. Like it was insane. Oh well, yeah, that is a very good point. Um I don't know. I feel like some students, they are very lazy. Like they don't want to think for themselves, which leads them to just like kind of just internalize what the professor says or like how they solve the question. But then it can really mess you up in like tests where it might not be kind of the same like procedure method and you have to maybe like think just a tiny bit more critically Mm -hmm. yeah i i I do like that approach i don't think i've done it that much but yeah if i were to go back to school i definitely would yeah i feel i i want to preface before we keep talking i feel bad about like crapping on all these students so much i was literally exactly the student that we're talking about Uh, i think we both were to some extent um, literally like two years ago. Yeah. Like I only started making the transformation. Um, it's kind of like a click actually. Like you, once you start doing it, the compounding effect, like once you start really taking self-learning seriously, the compounding effect just takes you to a whole different person in, in such a rapid amount of time, you barely recognize yourself like on the other side. Yeah, it's weird. It's kind of like a mix of like self-improvement in it as well, or just like self-actualization. But yeah. Just like that transformation in which you see the world literally because it's just, I don't know, can't put into Mm. words. It's a beautiful thing to experience. Hope everyone gets to at some point in their life. (laughs) One of lifelong learning. Now you're going to have to try and put it into words because I'm going to ask you (laughs) Uh, (laughs) what, what is, what is it, what does it feel like to look at the world now in comparison to three years ago? Changing your relationship with knowledge just gives you so much more freedom. I Mm -hmm. feel like. Because once you maybe get to maybe think critically a bit more, like outside of what you're being force fed down your throat through school, you get to think for yourself and you get to like plan things for yourself as we were discussing earlier. Mm. I feel like through that, you get to maybe like break out of the traditional mold that school may want to like um, forge you into and you just get to generate your own identity. Mm. Yeah. 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 I think that one of the um, important questions asked related to that is, 
I don't know if you've if you've dove into this yourself, but how do you think that the school has changed from like the time that our parents were going as like baby boomers compared Mm -hmm. to like now school might not be as mandatory as it used to be Mm -hmm. because back then like the means of education was mostly through school like sure you could learn through like an apprenticeship but that was very rare and like you'd have to be somewhat qualified or just be like have good ties whether it be like through family or like connections to get those opportunities. But with now, it's almost as if like the internet is like an equalizer for everyone. As long mm-hmm. as you have mm-hmm. access to like an internet connection and like have a destination you want to reach, I feel like for the most part, there's going to be a way to get there. Mm. So then that maybe puts um, schooling in jeopardy. But there are some professions where you might want kind of like some form of certification. Maybe like, I, I don't know, I'd want my doctor to maybe go through like a certified course because I don't want like someone who self-learned how to do a surgery to do it on me, especially if they have no experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, I might as well do it myself. I might as well self-learn myself and do it. Dr. Zimbwanzi, the non-certified doctor comes in (laughs) watch a few youtube videos played like a video game on like like, surgeon simulator simulator. yeah yeah i got this in the bag no i got this in the bag i wouldn't trust that i don't know like that i still have to like further clarify maybe like what i feel like would be acceptable to be self-learned and what can be what should be like kept in a traditional education setting i think Mm. like business programming um and maybe even art could definitely be something self-learned yeah but something yeah. where edu like um where society like has very strict systems on like uh health like law like, kind of those like things i feel like definitely need to have like a degree or some certification yeah oh i i, I completely agree my brother told me like in his business uh economics classes at utrecht some <laughs> of the professors who teach it don't even have their own businesses and it's it's very like it, it there's something it feels wrong to have someone like teach about something they don't even do themselves yeah um so like i completely agree about like the the medical and lawyer lawyers whereas like if you're an entrepreneur like you know you're not gonna suede me in your entrepreneurial abilities if you have an mba i'd rather see that you have a business mm-hmm. that you're trying to do like I, all all the entrepreneurs i've talked to um on the internet the good ones, at least, almost always give the same advice, which is why spend four years in an MBA if you could just start a business and then yeah. learn as you fail miserably. <laughs> <laughs> it might cost as much, but at least you're learning something. I don't know. Yeah, at least you're learning something. Exactly. <clears throat> I think one of the reasons I brought up the question about the baby boomers as well is like, I feel one of the ways that school's different in comparison to when like my dad and mom were going is there's so many more people with a degree now that mm-hmm. like the power of a, that a degree gives you is like way diminished and now yeah. what matters much more is like your unique skill set yeah and i feel like that just goes back to what we're saying about how important self-learning is is you don't get a unique skill set as easily in school as you do either doing what you did which is just going completely self-learning or doing half school like half self-learning like i am right now is you just you know school's not going to teach you um stuff that's coming out in the last like five years it takes too long for it to become a course uh it doesn't work yeah that's a really good point just like how like schools are maybe like like a generation not generation like a few years behind like the most latest things because they like things have to get verified things have to like stay persistent for a while they could like 
selling yeah. something on like nfts but then like next year <laughs> NFTs crash or like crypto crashes like i don't know <laughs> yeah the day that i open up the cornell class calendar class roster and it says nf 2030 introduction <laughs> introduction to nfts i will lose my shisa yeah. oh my god cornell will lose all its credibility <laughs> cornell will lose oh, it's might as well make Ooh. it a twitter crypto guru a good question related to that um one of the most prominent things that's like coming out recently is, is as I'm sure that we, we've talked about in some of our conversation is like chat GPT and other AIs like Dolly too, and like stuff like that. Mm-hmm. How do you think AI, and I'll explore this with you together if, if we don't know like a definitive yeah. answer, but how do you think AI will affect the college experience in the coming few decades? I have a question for you. Do you think it'll be integrated into learning? Do you think it'll be accepted? Or do you think it'll be kind of treated as like the phone where it's like banned technology? I think it will be treated exactly like the phone in that some some institutions will accept it more than others and some will reject it. Because I've I've read a lot into this. I've heard of some yeah. some professors who have completely banned ChatGPT in their classes. They don't accept it whatsoever. They do scans on their essays to make sure it's not been written with ChatGPT. Yeah. Um and some are much more accepting of it. They're like, yeah, you can use it to brainstorm. Just please don't use it to write your entire essay, which I think <laughs> is a good <laughs> good advice. Um, so I think it will be treated like the phone in that way. That I don't think it, there's going to be a point where it's universally accepted um, like uh, in all institutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it will rather be ambiguous to to the college. That's a good point. It probably will end up like that too, depending on like how liberal or conservative school would be. But in terms of maybe the tool itself, mm-hmm. I think it's a net positive. Mm, depends. Like if you're a self-learner, it's a net positive. But if you're someone who just wants to do the bare minimum and is willing to maybe use these tools for like kind of your own demise, like sh- mm. short-term gain, but long-term like loss as you mm. do kind of like the chance to build these skills of like critical thinking or like creating arguments or just like, I don't know, doing the things that you tell the bot to do. I think that's where the danger could be. Mm. But hey, at least people won't have to pay like $50 to have their essay written. <laughs> By like some j- j- jack online that has yeah. like little experience in essay writing. <laughs> Unless you have a bot that's trained on like millions of data. But yeah. Um, Oh no, I personally think it's good because like not everyone enjoys the essay writing process mm-hmm. or just like the writing process in general. And they'd much maybe prefer to use that time on actually learning the concepts and topics. So mm-hmm. if you're able to maybe speed run like the boring mundane assignments, so you can focus more on just like strengthening connections in your head or just like personalizing the connections through your notes. I mm-hmm. think it should be a tool that should be used. Yeah, I'm definitely on your side with this one in that I think just like the internet, if you as a student can learn to leverage the power of these AI tools, which your school will not teach you how to do, you have to do it, your, you, <laughs> you have to do it yourself. Yeah. Um, you are going to compound your learning just at a drastic, disgusting rate compared mm-hmm. to like the students around you. I do think um, there are quite a few negatives as well though as much as i love that whole aspect of like being able to have it help you write brainstorm do uh, creative acts um there's a couple of negative things one of the most insidious i think is that 
if you don't have digital literacy skills before ChatGPT came out, mm-hmm. it's just going to exasperate the problems that come with your ineptitude at using the internet. Because um, one of the things that I've realized about ChatGPT is like, it's a great brainstorming tool and it's great at initially learning a subject. Uh, it's very bad if you are trying to learn in depth into something that you already are an expert in. Mm. Um And the reason is like, if you ask it something, it's summarizing what the internet consensus is. So it's essentially giving you the most like generalized common answer. So it's actually a great tool for seeing it. it, Essentially, when you ask it a question, it's like, what does the internet think? And then you get the answer back. Uh, Problem is, unlike an academic, when it answers, it doesn't take care in which specific words it uses and how. Um, What I mean by that is like, it might use a word in one part of a sentence, and then it will use it in a way that just invalidates what it was saying in the previous part of the sentence, which becomes very important when you're in an academic sphere, um, Mm -hmm. and you're getting really in depth into a topic, because you need your terms need to be very clear, you don't you can't build knowledge unless your terms are aligned with everyone else reading. So it it's very it's, I think it'll get good enough at some point where it can do that. But right now, um, academics are not <laughs> are, are much better at building knowledge in that way than ChatGPT. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I do agree with your point. Like, it's not going to innovate anything, but it's a really good way to like share what's already established and out there. Mm, mm. Maybe it is like improving just like overall literacy. Who knows? Yeah. H- have you been using it for anything yourself? And if so, like what? <sighs> um, I should be using it more than I currently am. I do remember use I like using it for like very weird things. I don't really have like resources or people to talk to about because um, prior to this, I was thinking of maybe like redefining my different channel niches and like visions. So I have like my main John Maverick channel, but I also have like my Ran Wanders channel for more like anime analysis and maybe like self-improvement stuff. And I kind of wanted like some insight as to how I would separate these channels, like which one I should work more towards, um, what like the visions would be, how I'd present myself. And yeah, I just use chat GPT, just like mm. to bounce ideas off of, like to see like what, um, like the internet may think like I just like completely dumped like my situation it was able to give me like actionable advice and useful advice too like I even like also asked about branching out into different platforms like TikTok and then I was able to then ask it like hey can you give me like an example script related to my niche and my brand and it was able to give me it so it's just like so, really powerful it's so personalized yeah yeah can, can from- you give us an example like some of the insights you got from that um Thank you. It's been a while, but it just really helped like kind of divide the two. Like it helped me like I because I asked it like, should I like merge these two channels? Should I separate them? Like, do I like I feel like on the second channel, there's going to be a demographic of maybe younger people. It's like the topic is on like anime and self-improvement. Should I like start up a shorts channel? And how would I be able to maybe like funnel people from the short channel to um, my main channel it's just like a lot of different different like little quirks I was able to like give reasonable advice mm. as to how I should how I could look at it yeah some more food for thought I I'm so excited to see like in the future where these tools go because you know I've been I I went on like an AI deep dive a few days ago to see like what tools I could integrate into my student workflow as well as like creative workflow outside mm-hmm. and like oh my god it was so so fun like I I came across AIs like that could you give them like 10 photos and they'll output um some 
uh, photos of you, except in a different environment. Like they could make you as like a superhero or you as like, yeah, you sent me one. <laughs> uh, I sent you, I sent you those. Yeah. Uh, and it was really good at it. Like scarily good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've never, I've never seen myself look that attractive before. <laughs> I think it, it, it made me, it made me look way more attractive than I am. Like you're <laughs> from a Marvel Photoshop. movie. Yeah. From like a Marvel movie. It's insane. Um, it's like my new, my new, gym uh vision uh, is that uh, just plaster that on <laughs> and then i just think about it but it all over your wall yeah even chat gpt itself though like i similarly to you i found it incredibly useful for um brainstorming in, in and also learning about how i should attack topics that i'm learning for the first time like mm. for instance i asked it uh, a few days ago i was like what are the best podcasts and articles that I should read if I want to learn more about sales copywriting, or if I want to learn more about email automation on uh, an email marketing. Uh, and obviously, it just gave me like this massive list. And I just started careening through them, mm-hmm. seeing like saving a few episodes and deciding if I wanted to listen further. It was just, oh, my God, it was so useful. Yeah, it's so powerful to like, it's so powerful as an assistant for kind of the self learning. Mm. especially if you like personalize it to your profile and like give it more context like you yeah. don't really have to pay for maybe like an expensive um consultation anymore or like go to a course because it'll just tell you like free content you can use mm. and, and, and something even more insane is like obsidian i don't know if you know this but it has like a chat gpt integration now it's called ava uh it's a plugin. I've recently been using it over the past few days and bro, the stuff this thing can do is, it's disgusting. Like I use that word, not lightly, like three (laughs) of the, three of the coolest things I've done with it is first it can write inside of obsidian for you. So like there was this one note I had on, um, for one of my classes, I was trying to grow a note outside of class, uh, as I was like going back through it, I think it was on why you are why most of your success is luck. It was a psychology lecture I had. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to find an example about someone in real life whose most of their success was luck. Uh, And it was such a like a broad question. I couldn't think of anything specific, even though I obviously knew something. And then I just asked Ava, I was like, write me an example. Boom, it just did it. And I was like, Oh, there's my example for the note. Sick. Um, Wow. There's another there's another time where I was writing a note on um why it was a, it was a note from one of my psychology classes on why evolution doesn't always lead to positive change my argument from the lecture was oftentimes evolution can actually be a net negative for the group for example elks have 40 pound antlers which makes it harder for them to run away from wolves <laughs> it's terrible for the group but for the individual, big antlers are evolutionarily good because it means you're more likely to fight off other elks and get a mate. And that's all that matters for evolution is how much your genes reproduce. So on the individual level, big antlers are good. On, on the group level, they're mm-hmm. terrible. And so I wanted an image that depicted an elk fighting another elk to like go with what I was saying. I didn't want to search it up on the internet. So I was just like, Ava, draw an image of an elk fighting another elk. And because it has Dolly 2 connected to it, just God dang did it. 
God. in obsidian yeah it was insane it did it in like two seconds um and then finally thirdly this one this one really blew my mind this might be the coolest of out of all the three um there's this command you can give it called like find links what it does is it scans your entire obsidian database for language similar to the one inside of the note you're using and it will give you five suggested notes that you might be able to connect it to the one you're in. So I've done that on a few of the notes that I've been like really stuck on. Like I'll, I'll, I'll try and figure out what notes I should connect it to myself. And then I'll just be like, oh, God dang it, I can't do this. And then I ask Ava, I'm like, find me, find me some connected notes. And it'll just find notes that are like a year, uh, six months old. And I'm like, oh, I forgot about that. But it's so related. And I'll just link it into the note. It's insane. It's wow. <laughs> that third one is like, game changing it is it's so it's so cool it just makes like resurfacing like your old notes much more easier yeah yeah how long does it take though like I, it does it in like three seconds no like it like just how, and you have how many notes i have i believe around 3500 oh, a thousand notes a second that's crazy yeah and like, the, I have... like the suggestions are like very good too yeah oh yeah they're pretty they're, they're i i would say most of the time I would suggest you you try and figure out what notes to connect it to yourself first because mm-hmm. it's, you know it's an active process. Yeah. But if you can't find something, then I find most of the time when I've done that, I found at least one note that I've been like, oh, I, I should connect that. Um, sometimes, obviously, it gives you a note that's like so similar, it's like painfully obvious, but. Sometimes, but a lot of the time it'll give you something that you just completely forgot about. And you're like, oh my goodness. Uh, It also tells you how similar the note is to the one you're on in terms of percentage, because it analyzes the the words inside of them. So you'll get like the top five notes and it says like 90% similar, 85% similar, 70% similar, like stuff like that. Yeah, it's so cool. <laughs> that only like emphasizes the importance of breaking down your notes too. Instead of like having them all like on the same note. You can't really like Ooh, Yeah. Like it's really gonna like empower the Zettelkasten. It's like conceptual note yeah. making as a whole. And I'm really Ooh. excited to see how that will go. Yeah, oh I completely agree. That, that's actually the last tangent I'll go down and then I'll ask you the last question. Um, one of the things I've really noticed as I've taken more notes in Obsidian from semester to semester and class to class is the importance of atomic level note taking, like as, as talked about in the Zettelkasten method. And the reason is when you're going back to your notes from previous semesters, it is incredibly demotivating to try and connect a note if it's like 3000 words long and like, there's no... There's no reason you'd ever like look through that entire note to feel if it to see if it's related. It's too big. It's not useful to connect between each other. But if you have like an atomic note that's 200 words long or like 100 words long and you connect it to a lecture note that you're taking in, in that same semester. Oh, my God. It's it's powerful. It's so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I can't no longer just create a note on psychology and then dump everything related to like <laughs> Oh man. That would be like everything's related to psychology in some way. You'd have, you'd have like just a massive, massive note. What um my last question, uh well second to last question, the last one's very fast, but what is what are three books that have resonated with you most? Oh resonated. Can you define what resonated means? have deeply changed you as a person, not just on an 
intellectual level, but on an emotional level, like just reading them, you, you have felt in the moment of reading it, you felt like you're transformed and invigorated. Okay. So obviously the first book would be, she comes first, a guide on how to pleasure a woman. <laughs> John. Pretend nothing happened. Pretend I didn't say anything dumb. Okay. So I think I have a good idea what my three would be. Actually, I might I might have four even. Like, should I go like deep into them or? I'd, I'd say give like a good five cent, a three or five sentence summary, and then also why it was so influential to you. Okay. Um. Like first off, I'll talk about one I read recently, um, which is called Transcend. It's, I think it's made by Scott Kaufman, and in it, like he just talks a lot about humanistic psychology, like about self-actualization of like achieving your ideal self. And I really like this one because I don't know, I think throughout my curious endeavors of just like learning lots of books, I think my main motive has just been to kind of like achieve my best self and kind of see what kind of person I can be through knowledge and application. And it's just been really cool to kind of have like a researched foundation and like structure at which one can achieve this kind of state i like i didn't i didn't even know like maslow like abraham maslow was like the one who's pioneering this so then i got to like learn a new role model as well and like some more readings to learn about from there mm, mm. yeah it's just like it's kind of like the book i never knew existed but i wish i had it's just like it ties so closely to my values mm. yeah <clears throat> and if i go over a second book i would definitely go with something related to um stoicism because i just really like kind of their philosophy i feel like it answers well it proposes a lot of solutions to some of the problems in this world talking about lots of maybe extrinsic motivators like fame money and like just talks about how to have a good character as a whole so obviously you can go with meditations by marcus aurelius from one of the roman emperors one of like the pioneers and biggest figures of stoicism I just really like how raw the text is because like it was not written with intention of maybe being shared. It was just like, <laughs> bless you. It was just a man being like genuinely immersed in like just life and just being the best character he could possibly be. Mm. And on top of maybe some other like topics it talks about, like just like mortality and mortality, like, your emotions, like how you perceive the world. I just think it's just, like really important um, philosophy to like try out and understand marcus aurelius <laughs> yes the man the myth the legend um oh, they're just like books are just so powerful you know like there's they are there's just like a book for so many different so many books for so many different ideas that just like all come together into shape kind of the life that you want to live so i think maybe to end it off i would talk about the book called how to live because I think for me, one of maybe the biggest questions I have in life is to, well, like figure out like how I want to live this life in the first place. Just because of how much things you can do really in a lifetime and how much limited time you have to do it. I'm getting a bit existential, but bear with me. But I don't know. I feel like the Derek Sivers book, How to Live, definitely opens you up to a lot of different ideas on how to do so. So I think it gives you like 40 different like perspectives which are like which push that perspective to its extreme it's like very polarizing each idea like one will be like about um 
like how to live is to commit to one thing, whether it be like in relationships or in your career. But then the next one would be to like uh, try out everything, like pursue novel experiences. And she's like dives into each perspective in just great detail. So then from that book, from like each of the 40, I was able to just pick out like little nuggets I'd want to embody mm. into my own mm. like life philosophy. Almost like make your own unique one. But yeah, it's like build your own life. <laughs> <laughs> I've not heard that in so long. But yeah. And then, okay, bonus one. Um, I think what really like drives me the most is maybe like the altruistic reason for doing things. Because it's like one thing to do it for yourself, but to do it for like the like to impact the lives of multiple people at like such a large scale or just a very deep scale. I think it's something just like really empowering and just like a re- good reason to push yourself. And I think the book, um, It's Not About You, definitely helped open my eyes to that as well. Mm. Like I definitely would not have been able to get to where I am right now if it was just for like purely selfish reasons. I think just like having that desire to maybe like change the world in the way I can and to just pos- positively influence like the people that have helped me on this journey so far. I think, mm. I don't know, it's just a really important value to have for me personally. I can definitely see that last book inside of you just from my interactions with you over the past few months. Like it is, it's been a, it's just always a joy, uh, not only yeah. on this podcast to talk, but also in our, in our calls. Yeah. Um, and, and like even in our conversations about content creation and the feeling of like having so many people that you are reaching out to that it's almost like ethereal and and trying to keep like on that original vision of helping others mm-hmm. so that you don't get lost amidst like the thousands and thousands of people that you're suddenly reaching um it's just so important and and i think you really care about like keeping that vision instead of being like sucked into the money trap of that creation yeah. it's yeah. it's a big big battle to fight against but i really do appreciate you Maybe seeing that side of me, like the more altruistic side. Yeah. My last question is, where could people reach you outside of the podcast? Um, I have a Discord server, but only those who are worthy can find it. <laughs> but I'm probably most active on there, on, on my Discord. I, I pretty much live on Discord. So, But aside from that, you can always message me on Twitter, um, John Maverick underscore YT, I think. You can always just message me in like my YouTube comments if it is something related to Obsidian. And I don't know, if you want to be like a boomer, you can just email me. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. My email is very tough. Like, I don't know. You'll see my socials in like any of my videos. So yeah. John Maverick on YouTube and you'll find me there boomer email (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry if i offended anyone i call anyone older than me a boomer it's very disrespectful but (laughs) yeah well john thank you so much for coming on this has been an absolute joy a joy of a ride